my people called by my name. And historically, we didn't get called, Israelites and Hebrew people didn't get called Christians. They didn't get called God's followers. They were called Hebrews or Israelites, occasionally God's people. But the, the Christian title was new in Rome. So, so during Rome's period, after Christ had already died and gone to heaven and, and you know, came back from the dead and went to heaven and set up to make a place for us, that's when the title of Christian became a thing. So this is an Old Testament passage talking about people called by God's name, called by Christ's name. So to me, this is talking to you, to me, to the, to the Christians now. Um, and what's important to notice is this not talking to the lost people. And this is something that I've seen in every denomination of churches, every, every church I've been to, every Christian that I know for the most part. We want to say, if so-and-so would do this, the world would be better. If the Republicans would do what the liberals want, then they would be better. If the, the liberals would do what the Republicans want, they, the world would be better. And ultimately what we're saying is, if people would do what I want, everything would be better, right? But the Bible's not saying that. The Bible's saying, if my people... If the Christians would do what I tell them to, God, then the world would be better. And that's something that, that um, it hits me because I do the same thing. I'll be like, well, darn it, I don't like this. this. This would be better if it was my way. And God's saying, no, it would be better if it was my way, right? So that's this, this first section of this passage um, is that it's, it's about you. And that's, in the Bible, that's something very rare. If you think the Bible's about you, you're usually wrong because it's about God and about Jesus. But in this, this particular half a sentence, this is about you. It's talking to you as the Christian. Um, and we'll, we will talk to non-Christians shortly at the end, but for now, it's talking about you. Um, so the second, we're just going to keep going through this verse. Um, like I said, it might only be a 20-minute sermon. So you guys get, for Mother's Day, you get out early. So congratulations. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, so the, so the next section, if my people who will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And this is, this is the bulk of this passage. So first we looked at who is it talking to. We're going back to grammar school of, of the noun is the who and this is the what. This is the verb. So, so what are we being told to do? What is the action here? We are to humble ourselves first, right? And uh, I don't know how you feel about Francis Chan. I'm not telling you to listen to him or not listen to him. I don't care. This is a really good quote, though. Um, what he said is that humility is understanding who we are and who God is rightly. It's not putting yourself down. It's knowing the truth of the matter. So we know, I know that I was lost and that I was a sinner and that I was headed to hell. But God loved me so much that he died for me still so that I could become right and become pure in his eyes. And then, in Romans 5, 8, my, my favorite verse in the whole Bible, it says, say, no, oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself in my words. Um, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the, this is the picture of humility. This helps us understand humility, is that we were Christian, we were lost, we were dead, we were dirty, um, if we were teaching youth ministry, we would say we're zombies as a picture. We were, we're walking dead. We're not alive, but we're just existing. Um, but, but God still died for us, and he still saved us so that we could come to a relationship with him. And then not only that, but he brought in this dirty, filthy person. He cleaned us up, and he made us an heir to his throne. He made us a, 
a prince and a princess to God. He made us part of the family. He adopted us in. So that, that's true humility is understanding that and coming to this understanding. That, that we, it's not, it's not putting yourself down. We see that in the movies. We see that in the books. That, that the people that are trying to humble themselves in the picture of humble themselves, they put on their burlap sacks and they go sit out in the corner and they, they cry and they say they're horrible people. And ultimately, as lost people, we are horrible. We're dirty and we're filthy and we're, and we're lost, right? But that's not what we're being asked to do in this verse. We're being asked to see ourselves rightly for who we are. So if you're taking notes, that's the next thing is we need to see ourselves for who we are. So humble ourselves, know who we are, know who God is. Okay? And moving right along, um, the, next, the next section is that we need to pray, right? So we, we know that this verse is about us. It's saying God's people. First, we need to humble ourselves, and then we need to pray, right? And, and the Bible tells us that we are to pray without ceasing, right? But that's not something we do, not, not in America. We don't pray without ceasing normally. And I'm not speaking to everybody. I'm sure there's one person in this room that prays without ceasing, and I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to everybody else. We don't, we don't pray without ceasing. We pray when it's convenient or to transition through our stages of the day. So we'll pray when we get up in the morning, and then we'll pray after a meal or before a meal, and then we'll pray before we go to bed. It's just a transition in our life. Um, but the Bible's saying that prayer should be more than that. It should be, it should be the thing that, that we do as a, as a reflex of just talking to Christ, talking to God. I had a friend um, in Arkansas when I was younger, um, just a new Christian. He would pray in the morning and just not close his prayer. No, no, in Jesus' name, amen. Just leave it. And I was like, why are you? That is so weird. He's like, this way, every time I talk, I'm talking to God the whole time. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't know if it works like that, especially since you cuss all the time. But, <laughs> but more power to you, bud. Um, so it's, it's, not, it's not talking about that. It's not, it's not, not that. It's what, we're, what we need to do is we need to treat prayer kind of like we treat our phone. That, that we spend as much time on it as we can. That we, when we go to the restroom, you know, we, we, we take it with us, right? We pray as often as possible. We pray at every situation, at every convenient moment, right? At every inconvenient moment. Um, most, most Christians, um, not, not our strong Christians, but most Christians, I think that the census or whatever says that 80% of people say they're Christians, right, in America. We know that's not accurate. As, as, as true Christians, we know that's not true. But that's what people say. So going off of that, like 1% of people actually pray or something like that, like pray regularly to talk to God, it's, it's crazy numbers. Or, or, or pray to talk to God. I mean, prayer is ultimately we're talking to God, right? We're talking to the creator of the universe, the one that brought us into our, in his family and saved us from our sins. So that's, that's the second thing, is that we're supposed to pray, right? And, and moving to the next section, this verse this is the hardest section it is this is the part that's hard for me because we all want to say it doesn't matter or it's not my problem right it's we need to first we we, this is about us we need to humble ourselves pray and then turn from our wicked ways right so that's the next section we need to turn from our wicked ways or no sorry I think I got out of order I'm sorry, seek his face. I got out of order. Um, 
But seeking his face is, is honestly more important than turning from our wicked ways at first. We need to seek God. And, and the only way that I know to seek God is through prayer and through being in his word. That's, that's what I know. I'm still young. I'm sure there's probably something I don't know. But the two ways that I know through my countless mentors is that we, we pray and we read his word. That's how we seek his face, right? That's how we seek him. That's not necessarily how we seek his face, though. To seek his face, I think we have to take it a step further. And we, because, I mean, Old Testament, nobody's seen God's face, right? Because you, you would die if you saw God's face. So why are we seeking something that's going to kill us, you know? That, that doesn't make sense in the Old Testament context. But what, I, what it's saying here is that we need to be seeking God to the extent that we are seeking what God is looking at, what God is seeking. And, and as we know in the New Testament, God is seeking the lost. He's seeking the people that are, that are not Christians along with the people that are Christians. He's seeking people. He's seeking to love them. We are, we are people of love. So we, we love people and we seek people, right? So, so we're in the word, we're in prayer, we're seeking God to the point that we, what we do naturally is what God does naturally and we seek and love people. That's what we're supposed to do here. Uh, I'll admit we're going much faster than when I practice this. So, um, <laughs> so it might be shorter than 20 minutes, I apologize. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're seeking God. We're seeking his face. We're seeking who he is. And then we're seeking what he loves and what he cares about because we're looking for what he's looking for, what he's looking at. And he's looking at everybody in this room. He's looking at you because he loves you and you're part of his family. And if you're not part of his family, he still loves you. We saw that in Romans 5.8, that he died for you while you were still a sinner, while you were still an enemy of God. And as Christians, we should be seeking those people. Um, I, can't, I can't remember the pastor that quoted. It's an older pastor from... 50 years ago, but he said that there are only two kinds of Christians. There are, there are people that are seeking to save, or seeking to lead people to Christ, and there are people that are backsliding in faith. That's what he said, and I thought, that's crazy. There are people that are just stagnant, and then I thought, no, there's no such thing as a stagnant Christian. There either is a Christian who is seeking to, people to come to Christ, or there's Christians that are, are backsliding in their faith. They're not coming, growing closer to Christ. If you're not growing closer to Christ, you're not sitting still. Don't, don't believe that for a second. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. Um, and I thought, that is crazy. If we're, if we're Christians not seeking Christ and not seeking his people to come to Christ, then we're not truly loving God. We're not truly loving the people, and we're not seeking Christ anymore, right? And I, this, this was the, that was the, the quote that got me thinking about actually coming here and feel, feeling guilty um, when I was mowing the other day. But, uh, yeah, um, but it is, it's just, it's a wake-up call that if we aren't trying to tell people about Christ, then what is our faith condition, you know? What, what is the condition of our faith at that point if we're not actively seeking to tell people about Christ? Everybody in here knows somebody who doesn't know Christ, and they're headed to hell, right? So how are we loving them if we're not telling them about Christ? That's a, that's a new thing um, that we're seeing in this world, that we have to love people and be understanding of everything they do because we love them, right? We have to be okay with everything. Honestly, I love my wife, but if she lays on a railroad track, I'm still going to get mad at her and pull her off the railroad track because I love her, right? And, and 
that's the truest thing of love. My, my wife is friends with, because we lived in Kansas City. She worked at a French pastry shop in downtown Kansas City. And uh, she was friends with a lot of actors and a lot of lost people through that job, um, which is kind of fun because actors are actually kind of fun to be around. They're cool. Um, but they're very lost and they're very much into sinful acts and sinful desires. But she still was friends with them and she still spent time with them. And they would question her, like, why would you be friends with me when you're against homosexuality, when you're against um, cheating on your spouse, when you're against all these things. And she said, well, I'm your friend because I'm your friend. That's just how it is. But I'm not, I'm not okay with what you do because I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be in heaven right next to me. And I won't support your action because I want you to be in heaven right next to me. Right? And, and, and that's the same thing. If, if your kid was running into the street, you would still want to save them because you want them to be alive with you. So the, so the greatest act of love is telling people about Christ and is calling them on their sin. And, it, and you can do it in a loving way. That's the thing that I think that got lost in the 80s was that we could share Christ lovingly and not just hell and brimstone all the time. <laughs> we, we can do it, believe it or not. Did it for many years. You just literally talk to the people and act normal and don't go crazy. Um, which is funny because I did that during college ministry and college kids go crazy because they are scared. Um, <laughs> It's literally like one of those, do you know Jesus? Do you want to? And the people are just like, I want you to go away. <laughs> so, so, but we had some good leaders that were like, hey, let me show you how to do that. And they just shook somebody's hand and said, hi, my name's so-and-so. And then didn't bring up Christ for like five minutes and much smoother transition. And loving because we cared about the person. We actually talked to the person and didn't just try to shove Jesus down their throat. But we do need to share Jesus though. We know that. That, that leads to the next section of this, that we need to turn from our wicked ways. I mean, I mean sin's obviously wrong, right? And it, it puts a, a breach in between us and God. It causes a rift between us and God. And Christ filled that rift, but when we're still sinning, it's like we're nailing, it, nailing Christ to the cross all over again. We're just continuously hammering in nails like, I know you died for me, and I'm so sorry, but here's another nail because I want to do this action or I want to do this thing. And, and, and the funny thing is, is again, Romans 5.8 says that he does it willingly, and he takes that, that, that nail, he takes that scar for you and for me. But this passage is saying that we need to turn from those things. And what I think is funny is if we take this passage in, in line, so we first know that it's about us, we humble ourselves and know who God is and who we are in the condition of our lives, in reference to God. And then we pray, seek his face, and then we turn from our wicked ways. We, we are, we've, the first couple steps, we've built a strong relationship with Christ. We've humbled ourselves, come to know him better. We're praying actively. We're, we're reading the word actively. We're getting to know him. We're seeking people to be saved. When we get to turning from our wicked ways, it just makes sense. Our lives aren't the same anymore. We literally are saying, I've been doing all these things to grow closer to God, and now there is a cancer, there is something in my life that doesn't make sense, and it doesn't belong in this situation that I've been building through these other things. Like, if you're praying, and you're seeking God's face, and you're trying to share people, share the gospel with people, and you're still struggling with pornography, that thing becomes extremely apparent in your life. If you're cheating on your spouse, that thing becomes extremely apparent in your life. It's not something you can just push aside and say, it's not a big deal, it's not hurting anybody. Because you've been doing everything to grow closer to Christ. And Christ is so different from this world 
that when there are things of this world in your life like that, you can't get away from them. You have to deal with that. You have to make a decision that you, do you want to love Christ or do you want to love this thing? Do you hear that? You have to make a decision, just like we always have to do. Every single day we have to make a decision. Do I want to love Christ and love people or do I want to love this thing? Because guess what? There is no sin that doesn't have a victim. We like to say um, pornography is a good picture, so I'm going to use that reference. That Pornography is not a, not a it, there's no victim because people are getting paid. Those people hurt. They struggle through life. There are countless YouTube videos about people talking about how, how hurt they were and how discouraged they were during this time that they were making money. Money doesn't make things better. Nothing makes things better like that. Or we, we steal money from somebody. We're, we're saying that your thing is more important to me and belongs to me because you're not as important. You're hurting that person. You know, we're, we're, we're taking pride. We're saying that this is about me and it's not about you. Or, or that thing that you think you need so bad is about, about you. It's not about the other person, but you're hurting that other person. No matter what sin you're doing, if you're lying to somebody, you're saying that I don't trust you with the truth. And that's hurting that person. It might not hurt them at first, but when they find out you lied to them, it might hurt them a little bit. So there is no sin that doesn't have a victim. Sometimes the victim is you. You know? All these sins lead us to, to hurt. And they have to be dealt with. And when I was looking over this, actually, was going over it in the car before I came in, I noticed that this verse, even though it's an Old Testament verse, is a gospel presentation in itself. When we lead people to Christ, especially in youth ministry, these are the steps we take, slightly out of order, but these are the steps we take. We need to humble ourselves. We need to know that we are lost. We need to know that we are sinners. And we need to know that God saved us, and he's the only one that can save us, Right? That's the first step of becoming a Christian. We have to understand and know. We have to humble ourselves. And then we have to pray. We have to actually have a conversation about God and admit these things and admit our sins and admit these problems. And as we're doing that, we're seeking him, right? We're seeking God through, our, through this prayer for the first time. And during this prayer, we're supposed to, to turn from our wicked ways. I mean, even though this is an Old Testament passage that gets taken out of context all the time because we want to use it to beat people down, we want to say, if you would do better, this, this passage says that God would heal the land. That's not at all what this passage is saying. This passage is saying, if you, Christian, would do better and follow Christ the way he wants you to follow him, then this world would do better. There's a, an old quote about the pastor. People wanted, really, really wanted revival in their church. That's what they wanted so bad. And the pastor finally had enough of them saying they want revival. And he went and got a piece of chalk, and he drew a circle around himself, and he said, if we want revival, then it has to start in this circle. And he encouraged them to draw circles around themselves because it has to start with you. If you want to see a difference in Dixon, you have to start with yourself. And if you're doing these things, you're humbling yourselves, you're praying, you're seeking his face, and you're getting rid of those things that aren't supposed to be there, those sins, you will see people change in this world. You'll see people change in this town. I was, talk, I was talking to you earlier about how um, if 50 people shared the gospel once a week, it's like 1,500 times the gospel gets shared in one year. That's just 50 people. And if we do the math, and I'm not going to do the math in my head because I'm not that smart, but uh, I usually write it down when I talk about this, but <laughs> I didn't this time. That was my mistake. Um, over, over four years, 
if people are sharing the gospel and one percent of people are coming to Christ. Fifty people are saved in, in three years. Fifty people found salvation. And the gospel was shared 1,500 times at the end of three years. Or no, it's, it's, it's 15,000. I was wrong. It's 15,000 times at the end of three years if you're sharing the gospel once a week. And don't do the math and say you're wrong because I'm... I know the numbers, but I'm winging it, so I might be off by a year or so. <laughs> so um, but, but you can make a difference, but you've got to start with you. You can't make a difference if you're still dealing with that sin and you haven't turned to Christ and you're not reading your Bible and you're not praying regularly and constantly. Do you get that? That's what, if we, if, as, us, as Christians, that's what we need to do. That's what we're seeing overseas as people are not distracted by other things so much that they forget to be Christians. And here in America, we're distracted by politics, we're distracted by Netflix, we're distracted by YouTube, we're distracted by ball games, and lately we've been distracted by the anger of not having the ball games. So we're so distracted constantly that we're not focusing on Christ. We're not focusing on getting our lives right so that we can lead people to Christ and be effective. Um... I'm going to tell a quick story, and then we'll have the worship band come back up. Um, so there's a TV show that I used to watch a long time ago, and I'm not recommending it because it's, it's, uh, it's a military show, so I'm not recommending it. Um, it's called Band of Brothers. Uh, fairly good show, I think, but again, not recommending it. Um, it's about the one, 101st Airborne, and they're, they're going into battle, and they're fighting this war, and it just kind of follows them along. And in Episode 7, they get a new lieutenant. We'll just call him Lieutenant D, because I don't remember his name. Um, <laughs> I know it starts with a D, um, and it's not Dan, because that, that would make me... <laughs> yeah, so uh, Lieutenant D is new to the infantry, he's new to, new, not new to the infantry, new to the 101st, and he's just not really very great. He kind of just goes off by himself, he spends his own time, and, and, and early in the show, the, the officers you've been following are like, this guy's going to get us killed, just saying it as kind of jokingly. Um, but they end up taking the, the, the battle of Foy where they're fighting to take the, the city of Foy. He's leading in this group of men to, to the battle. And they get to a point where artillery is coming everywhere, machine guns are going off, and his, his troops get split into two groups. One group proceeds past the enemy lines, and they're on the other side of the enemy lines. And he and the rest of his troops are just under heavy fire, and he's, he basically orders them to stay put. So, like, find cover in this open field, and you'll be fine. But they're all getting shot. I mean, they're getting picked off constantly and constantly. And, and he's leading them to death. His order is leading them to death. His decision is leading them to death. And, and the headquarters sees this, and the general is like, I'm going to run out there and do this myself. But his troops are like, you can't leave. You're in charge of the entire army. You can't leave. Um, so he sends in Lieutenant S. Again, can't remember their name. Otherwise, I would use their name. Um, he sends in Lieutenant S to take over for Lieutenant D and says, you, get that guy out of there. He doesn't know what he's doing. You take over. You be in charge. And again, this first group is under heavy fire. I mean, they're getting shot left and right, mortars, artillery, everything, just coming down on these guys. And this lieutenant says, okay, and he just gets up and runs. Like, not dodging, not weaving, just straight line to the, to the men he was ordered to go talk to. Through, through fire. And in, in the show, literally, bullets are just whizzing past his head, cannon fired. Somehow he doesn't get hit. And from what I understand, this is based on a true story. So that guy is super brave. Um, 
But he runs past all this enemy fire to get to his first group of men. And he, he orders Lieutenant D to get out of there. He sends him back to the headquarters and he gets his men to safety. And then doing this, he finds out that half of his men are on the other side of enemy lines without radios, so they can't talk to them. And he says, okay. And he just gets up again and runs through enemy lines, like past a machine gunner. And in the show, you just see, see him running past this machine gun guy, and he's just like... <laughs> it was just, an enemy troop just ran past. And uh, he gets to the other men, and he, he gives them orders and gets them to safety. But again, they don't have radios. So he gets back up, and he runs back to the first guys who got shot up pretty bad, to help them. He runs past enemy lines again, and this time, of course, they're shooting at him because they figured out that he's doing this. Um, but he runs all the way back to the, to the troops to help them and get them finish getting them to, to better safety. And, and I tell you the story because it reminds me of Christ. The, the first lieutenant, Lieutenant D, is like us running our own lives. We are leading ourselves to death, and we don't realize we're doing it because we're scared, and we don't know what we're doing. That's what Lieutenant D did. He didn't know what he's doing. He was scared, and he, he put himself in a situation to die and to put all of his men in a situation today. And the headquarters saw this and said, oh, that's not going to work. Those people are going to be dead because they can't lead themselves and he can't lead them either. So they sent in somebody who could lead. And God sent in Christ to lead us and to save us, right? Just like Lieutenant S. He sent him in and, and he ran past the fire. He, Jesus took on the mantle of a human to deal with the sin that human deals with. He, he didn't sin himself, but he, he had to be tempted by that. He, took, he, he ran through enemy fire, through, through enemy lines to get to those first troops, and he, he helped them get to salvation. We see that as the Israel people, that he, he came for them first, and he, he told them the gospel, and he died for them. But then he didn't stop there. He ran across enemy lines, and he died for the Gentiles too. And everybody in this room is a Gentile. If you're not true-blood Israelite, you're not an Israelite. So he ran through enemy lines to save you too. And then that wasn't enough. He, he died and he came back. He ran back through that enemy line to help us because we can't do it on our own. He left us the Holy Spirit because we can't do it on our own. And he doesn't ask us to. He tells us that he'll be with us always. So I mean, isn't, that, isn't that a great picture that, that Christ did this for us because he didn't expect us to do it on our own? And just like in, in Second Chronicles, he doesn't expect us to do it on our own. He just gives us a blueprint to what to do to get right with him. And he's going to be there the whole way. And I'm going to close this in prayer in just a second. And, and, and I'm not going to do a traditional altar call. The altar's open, I assume, at your church always. Um, it's open again here. I'm not going to stand up front, though. I'll be over here at my seat. If you want to talk to me, I'm happy to talk to you. Um, but... but Seek your own heart. Know your own heart. Do the first step today of humbling yourself and knowing your condition and knowing who God is. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for giving me this message and, and for sharing through me. Um, bless this church and their lives that they take this home and that, and that they didn't just hear it and understand it, but they, they live this message and they live coming back to you, Lord. Help us to, to all grow in faith and to, and to grow 